the show that goes there. This is the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network, live from the little place known as Pukalani, Hawaii. Aloha. Welcome to it. Today, in our pre-election show, we're going to talk about where we are as a country, how the president is trying to turn this into, well, something it's not, and... Where does that leave us all as a nation? Plus, we'll touch about eh, a couple of the elections going on. Before we get to all of that, welcome to my show. Hi, I am your host, critical thinker, problem solver, guy just left of normal and sane, but always centered in common sense. My name is Shaggy Jenkins, and you can find me wherever fine social media is served at Shaggy Live or on my website, shaggyjenkins.com. You can also uh, support us by, well, giving us a like or something if you uh, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Stitcher. And, hey, why not? Might as well just throw out the fact that we have a Patreon. Uh, just look for The Shaggy Jenkins Show. Tons of membership benefits. But that's 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 not important right now. Look, tomorrow we have got an election coming up. And for the most part, a lot of people are seeing tomorrow's vote, as they should, as a referendum on what kind of job the president is doing. Now, keep in mind that this is not just this president. I have said time and time again on this show that usually the midterms are a referendum on what kind of job the president is doing. And as such, as the midterms go, usually that's the direction, unless... There is some fine across the aisle negotiation. Um, that's usually the way that the the next big cycle will go. Now, I know I could talk about statistics and how a sitting president is only forty percent un uh, well forty percent likely to get unseated. And the last time that we saw that was George H. W. Bush in his run up against Bill Clinton. But instead, let's talk a little bit about. Well, where we are as a country right now, because our president is unprecedented in a lot of, of ways. And, and one of the ways we've talked about on the show is his detachment from reality. But this latest spat, and I say this as a person that always tries to come from the center, that always tries to look at things from a, this is good for the country and this is bad for the country— one of the things that has come to light lately, oh, yeah, and as a former resident of probably the place that is stereotyped as the most racial, the South, I, I can say this with very good authority. Here lately, Donald Trump's rhetoric is starting to resemble some of those crazy uncles that you were like, yeah, I'm not listening to you. You were probably in the Klan. Um. The reason I say that is because, look, when it comes to whistleblowing, especially with white people, and I know if you're a white person, this part of the show is always hard for you to, to bear, but pay attention because this is a way that you are manipulated time and time and time again with absolutely no basis in reality. Donald Trump, in his latest round of attacks, going into the weekend and getting ready to, to ramp up his attacks for whatever he's going to say in the next 24 hours as the elections are starting to commence, Donald Trump has time and time again used a frontier type of racism. 
when I say frontier type of racism, you're you're probably thinking um, Old West or something like that, and you're partially right. I'm actually talking about the film industry as it used to pertain to portrayal of other races in its shows, especially around the old uh, westerns, not the spaghetti westerns that were made in Italy by guys that were officiados of Western and United States culture. No, no, no. The, the, the old westerns used to show us something that was endemic of entertainment because it had roots in what society believed. And that, of course, is the view of the restless native, I guess you could call them, the, 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 the savage indigenous, as it were. And Donald Trump has started to play in those fears again. You see, back in the silver age of, of cinema, and I know this is very hard to hear, but a lot of that work was racist by design, by the way. The, the movie industry had this whole option of, you know, allowing the government to rate their performances, and they said, no, instead we'll rate our own, and... and as such, things as crazy as white slavery was deemed bad, that could get you uh, <clears throat> not approved for a movie rating, but black slavery was perfectly okay. As a matter of fact, throw in as many of those old minstrel shows that you know the crackers like, because that's what sells tickets, and that's who we're trying to sell tickets to. And with that type of mentality... They kind of preyed upon something that was a societal norm to white society in America, and that was the fear of the brown person. I know, I know, it was Native Americans, and uh, they were called Indians, and there was the cowboys and Indians, and Shaggy, that's just a part of Americana. You, you can't fault that for being something endemic to society. Yes, yes I can, because stuff like that, should have been, and and now in hindsight, um, to the more enlightened elements of our society, and for people that just have a pulse, uh, we look back at that with the lens of where we are now with societal progress, and we say, oh my God, that was systemically racist. We were teaching white people that white people were the saviors, and anybody non-white was a savage, was on the attack, and, here's the thing, was coming for our women. Now, you know, I, I, I know from time to time I come off a little bit anti-white on this show, but I, I'm just going to say something, and, and I'm pretty sure that I, I speak for a lot of people of my race, but, dude, if you want to date a white woman, more power to you. They are Weird. I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow searching through goop. Weird. More power to you. But in a lot of other parts of white society in America, oh my God, somebody outside of your race dating somebody that you may know is atrocious. It is it is akin to the, 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 I'd say the second quarter of revelations in the Bible. You know, the, the really fiery and brimstony parts. And, and that is something that is stupid as a country in this day and age to say, but I come from a place where that was endemic to society. And, and don't get me wrong, 
for the longest time, especially when I moved away from the South, I thought, you know, it's a big, broad country and things are going different. But no, I think I was wrong. And that's a problem. Because when you look at the total picture of America, yes, the endemic racism inside of the old Hollywood films with the brown folks being always portrayed as the savages, the ones that are coming to steal your women away from you, I thought those elements were from a bygone era until I saw Donald Trump's latest round of attacks. Now, in a speech... He basically came out and said, there is a caravan, an invasion coming for America. And that is systemically wrong. It is wrong in its explanation. It, it's just completely not based in reality. That migrant caravan that's all a part of a deep state conspiracy on the part of, well, people that are enemies of the United States is actually... And, and this is the weird thing, because Donald Trump always tries to frame this argument as these are people that are illegal to us or illegal. These are people. And I need you to put this distance in your your mind. OK, these are people that are more than at current estimations, 800 miles away walking towards the northern border and as such they have not touched any united states state or territory therefore and i know this is going to sound weird makes them none of our damn business until they actually get here but see donald trump knows that if you want people to circle the wagons all you have to really do is dog whistle the fact that those savage natives are coming. Those people that are slightly more tan than you are coming for your women. Now, when we talk about a migrant caravan and we talk about the people that compose it, these are people that are seeking asylum. And for a large part of the Republican argument, specifically Donald Trump's argument, is that these are a collection of criminals, rapists, who are coming for your white women. And I cannot say this loudly enough, okay? Seriously. More power to you if you want to date white women. But, getting back to the whole point of this, Donald Trump, just like I did with that little comment there, and I've done this to kind of galvanize the people that hate those kind of anti-white women speeches because I know that it'll get a reaction from you and that's the way Donald Trump manipulates you when he says that all of these bad elements are in this caravan marching forth in an invasion of the United States. Okay, they're unarmed. They're refugees. Now, Let's just try to throw this into a little bit of perspective. Okay, let's say that the poo really hits the van here in America one day, and we all of a sudden feel compelled to migrate to the great neighbors of the North, Canada, for some sort of relief. Maybe our economy collapses. Maybe there's a big civil war that starts off, and people are just tired of being in the middle of conflict and want to go back and resume normal lives 
raising their children in a place that their children can go to a school and not be firebombed or shot up or kidnapped for some cartel territory battle or executed in some sort of theological quest for greatness. So let's just say that that's the situation. And Canada knows a couple of things about the United States. One, that they're a pretty weird place with what with their loose restrictions on guns. I mean, the fact that you can walk into a gun show in most states and buy stuff without even a background check and the stuff that you buy is uh, near assault grade level, that is a little disquieting to other countries. But... Let's say that Canada knows all these things about America, and then all of a sudden a bunch of Canadians get together and they say, no, no. They screwed their own country up. They messed everything up, and as such, we can't have them dirty Americans coming up here and ruining all of our Canadian greatness. Now, if we were on the other end of this debate, we would be like, no, no, you don't understand. My kids are getting blown up. Uh, crap is really going bad with uh, drug cartels running around shooting everything up. I can't go to work because my job might have been closed down by some government agency I just heard of. There could be tons of rationale on our side for wanting to go to a country that still has its crap together. But when it comes to people inside that country, if they treat us like enemies, well, good luck surviving and see that's the thing this is just a quest for survival when it comes to the people that are actually marching once again some 800 plus miles i mean come on donald trump is sending thousands of troops to our southern border and they're going to be waiting for months and don't get me wrong, in just a sec, we've got to talk about some of the dog whistling that he's done to troops on the border. And if you're a troop, uh, if you're any officer or soldier, I really encourage you to pay close attention to something that I'm about to tell you. Because much like Donald Trump has been dog whistling the racism lately, has been doing the whole thing when he says oh my God, these brown folks are coming to take your women away from you and they're nothing but criminals, they're nothing but rapists, they're nothing but terrorists. And, and, and okay, can we have just a quick aside here to say how funny that article was and the fact, I mean, that, that, that ad was that the GOP released when they basically said, look, there's criminals, rapists, MS-13 gang members, people from the Middle East, that last one threw me for a loop because I'm like, okay, so wait a minute. If you're from the Middle East, at least according to the language of this ad, you are a criminal. And see, that's the other thing, too. Remember how I said that all this migrant stuff coming north hasn't really touched a United States territory or state? Why are we treating people outside of our nation's borders as internal criminals. Keep in mind, if this massive caravan of terrible people that Donald Trump claims they are, and once again, they most certainly are not, it 
could be you in a different time and place. Just wanting to have a normal life again, and you're like, screw this, i got to find a different country. When it comes to what Donald Trump is saying, though, this is the dangerous thing. He is treating asylum seekers who have full intentions of actually coming through the quote-unquote legal way into this country, which, by the way, it is legal to cross the border of the United States and upon being caught or apprehended to declare yourself a political refugee and to seek asylum. That is actually a legal way of coming to the United States. Trump tries to frame the argument, and Republicans always try to frame the argument of you have to come through a certain door at a certain time, and it's like the DMV, and you check in, and you get your number. And no, it's not like that. On the books, by law, a legal way to come to the United States is to seek asylum by getting in any way that you can and just declaring yourself a refugee. Now, that starts a whole lengthy progress, uh, process through an entirely overworked and understaffed immigration system, but it is legal. And if you're somebody that thinks that, oh, my God, somebody's going to cross the border from, um, you know, Mexico and all of a sudden say, well, I'm a refugee and... We're supposed to buy that. <clears throat> By law, yes, we are. And see, that's the thing about this whole story. Trump has tried to frame these people that are hundreds of miles away, months and months away, as enemy combatants, not as individuals seeking asylum. Now, remember that whole Canadian scenario I set up earlier with uh, me talking about what it would be like if Americans all of a sudden had to migrate north? Maybe things weren't going so good in our town and we had to zip out of here? Well, let's say that Canadians assume that all Americans, besides liking uh, monster trucks and wrestling, all owned handguns and were just bloodthirsty as a culture. Now, imagine I, I, I said that, and I had good evidence to support it, like, well, America's kind of freestanding with their guns. They don't really track them, so, God, any crazy could have them. I mean, every American inherently is a criminal. Yes, that's how easy it is to go down this rabbit hole of racism or nationalism. And let's say that after all of this stuff and you arrive on the border and you are, once again, just a person that wants to go back to having a normal life of working a job, of paying bills and sending your kids to school, they treat you like an enemy combatant? I'm thinking that's not going to be too good for your standing not only as a living person, a refugee, but as a country that turns away people that just want help. Now, the other thing about this, and, and this is, I have to take kind of a heavy sigh here because this is the part that just bothers the hell out of me. When Donald Trump and, and, and the GOP, and I, I have to preface this here real quick, with Remember how I said that I am from the South? Well, 
Southern people a long time ago migrated mostly from the Democrats or the Dixiecrats that were highly conservative and racist over to the Republican Party after Richard Nixon's Southern strategy where the Republicans adopted all the racists that the Democrats were trying to shed at the height of the civil rights movement. It was a complicated time in history, boys and girls, and I encourage you to look it up. But as a person from that place, even I, who was, I guess this is the right term for it, indoctrinated into conservatism, when even I, in my adult life, kind of realized that the, 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 the modern conservatism isn't even attached to the ones I was born in, and it is so inherently racist, misogynistic, sexist, and biased, it makes it hard for me to kind of frame anything from a centrist kind of view here. And, and that's just it. When it comes to Donald Trump and his treatment of these, once again, refugees, hundreds and miles away and months and months away from actually reaching the United States border, where if they enter the border, encounter a border guard and say, oh, thank God you're here, I'm here to seek asylum, is a perfectly legal process for getting into the United States. Even with all of these things being the absolute truth of the matter. Like, if you're from the Middle East, that does not inherently make you a terrorist or a bad person or even Islamic. You're just a person from the Middle East. But in the GOP rhetoric, that makes you an enemy combatant. And we're treating these people as such for one and only one reason, political gain. And that brings us to the scariest last piece of this puzzle. It has to do with you, the armed services. You see, Donald Trump has, has made immigration, or should I say anti-immigration, the cornerstone of the Republican platform. And, okay... Remember how I've been going through how things are legal and illegal? Well, let's just say that the United States Armed Services has a very interesting loophole in the legal, not legal talk of this whole discussion here, okay? Uh, I, I, I can't stress this enough because what the president is implying is fundamentally changing the rules of engagement for the United States Armed Services, all because of political gain. You're wondering what I'm, I mean? It's this statement right here. The president, at one of his rallies, said that when these troops are on our southern border, that they should treat anybody throwing rocks to them uh, somebody that throws a rock, that is supposed to be treated as a rifle. Remember that statement he said, treat the rocks like rifles. There's a reason why he had to specifically use those words. 
You see, when it comes to the United States Armed Services, they are not allowed to fire on anybody, especially in domestic situations, unless, according to the rules of engagement, they have been engaged. In other words, somebody used a rifle to initiate an assault against them. Now, I can say this from a certain level of experience. If you're in uh, armed services, specifically in army uniform out on patrol, uh, like the kind akin to Afghanistan and Iraq, you're under several layers of protection. If somebody chucks a pebble at you, you're probably not likely to really feel it if it hits any part of your core body because of all the gear that you're wearing. But when Donald Trump tells armed service members, treat their rocks like rifles, what he's actually doing is allowing them the legal loophole of being able to fundamentally change the rules of engagement. In other words, rocks and pebbles are not attack versus that is the equivalency of pulling a gun on me and firing on me or my battalion or my fellow soldier. Rocks are now equated to rifles, not because it just sounds good, but because if you understand the rules of engagement, it fundamentally allows the army that is now in greater numbers on our southern border waiting months and months and months for a bunch of asylum seekers that are not going to show up anytime soon and are not full of MS-13 and all the MST-3K, I don't know. All the stuff that Trump claims to be in there is not in there. So these guys are now being told that when they do arrive, if any one of them chucks a pebble, if any one of them even bends down to pick up a rock, treat that as the first part of the rules of engagement and open fire on them. And look, I don't care what you say about America, we should not be the type of country that opens fire on people for pebbles. It's just not good optics. Speaking of good optics, we'll talk... Welcome to 60 Second Civics, the daily podcast of the Center for Civic Education. I'm Mark Gage. Despite the presence of indentured servitude and slavery in colonial America, many Americans enjoyed written guarantees of their rights. These written guarantees appeared in the royal charters that established the Virginia, Massachusetts, and Maryland colonies, among others. Here's one example from the charter establishing the Virginia Company. The persons which shall dwell within every or any of the said several colonies and plantations, and every of their children, shall have and enjoy all liberties, franchises, and immunities 
as if they had been abiding and born within this our realm of England, or any other of our said dominions. Expressing guarantees of rights in writing became a tradition in the Thirteen Colonies, a tradition that was continued by the adoption of states' bills of rights after independence, and finally, the Federal Bill of Rights in 1791. That's all for today's podcast. The show's theme song is Complacent by Cheryl B. Englehart. You can find Cheryl online at cbemusic.com. 60-second civics, where civic education only takes a minute. There's a lot at stake this November. 36 governorships. 35 Senate seats. And all 435 House seats are up for election. If only 50% of voters show up, it would be the highest midterm turnout in a century. Learn more and get involved at IamAVoter.com. And don't forget to vote Tuesday, November 6th. Brought to you by I Am A Voter and the Ad Council. Get involved, get informed. This is the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Aloha and welcome back. If you've missed any part of this show, hey, why not? Go to our website and catch up for all the things that you missed. ShaggyJenkins.com or wherever fine social media is served. Hey, just look me up at Shaggy Live. Um, I am your host. That's the name I keep saying. Shaggy Jenkins, critical thinker, problem solver, guy just left a normal insane. And right now, centered not only on common sense, but look, we have to have a very frank discussion going into the midterms about this whole referendum thing. Okay, on the first part of the show, I had mentioned that Typically, when it comes to midterm elections, they are viewed as a referendum on where the president is taking the country. And that is kind of where I want to take us now. You probably heard about this story about some extremist guy. And I have to use that word extremist man uh, who shot up a yoga studio in Florida. Scott Beerley killed two women and injured about four others in a uh, Florida yoga studio on Friday. Now, I, I feel so weird saying this, but Thursday's show of last week, we had talked about how America has this problem with calling people terrorists when obviously they do terroristic things with terroristic motives. And when it comes to Scott Beerley, a 40-year-old man who shot up a yoga studio for unknown motives, when investigators looked into his past, it turns out that there might have been a little bit of online radicalization, a little bit of indoctrination to an extremist group, Basically, all of the earmarks that if this guy was somebody outside of our shores or inside of our shores and not so darn white, we would label him as a terrorist. Either a terrorist plane, terrorist du jour, I guess you could call it, or as a domestic terrorist. For some strange reason, when it comes to the United States and white people, though, we don't call them what they are, and this might be another case of that, because 
when it comes to Scott Beerley, it turns out that he has a little bit of, um, well, a link to this community of men that feel that men everywhere, and I've, I've actually talked about one of these groups on this show before, the, the group Men Go Their Own Way. Well, these groups time and time again say that men, specifically white, Caucasian men, clearly the most overprivileged and, oh, God, under-scrutinized group on planet Earth, um, these men are really the victims. Now, this is the funny thing. Movements like this are wildly out of touch with reality, but if you want to know how easy it is to get indoctrinated to them, look no more than their methodology. It turns out that if you just flirt with the idea of misogyny online, the community of people that you can find that, that famously call themselves incels, which I had to do this whole thing of looking up where that term came from and found out that it was another overprivileged white guy that thought by his sheer virtue of being a man with a penis should have earned him some sort of sexual attention. Frustrated over his virginity, he went and killed a bunch of people in 2014. Ten people, in fact. But the thing is, is that... That's not even the root of it. I'm talking about in Canada, there was this case of a guy by the name of Alec, and he was actually basing himself off of Elliot Rogers, a guy that went on a stabbing and shooting spree in Isla Vista, California, back in May of 2014. Now, the thing is, is because he issued this weird whole statement about it, saying that, well, it was society's fault that he was a virgin, that he could rightfully go on this day of retribution, he was, for all intents and purposes, canonized or beatified as almost a saint. And so, when we come to, like, okay, the aftermath of this shooting at the yoga studio in Florida, there's a very obvious question how niche communities like this 2014, well, I'm going to... Let somebody else sum this up. You recognize him right now as the mayor of Tallahassee and running right now for a bigger political office. His name is Andrew Gilliam. Uh, Andrew Gillum. And when it came to his response, well... The truth is, is that these occurrences have become far too frequent in our society. Uh, and it's my sincere hope that obviously beyond this we'll all reflect uh, on why that might be. His response was basically a very well-thought-out question of, why is this all happening? Now, I could go down the whole rabbit hole with you here of the in-sale or involuntary celibate movement that is mostly embittered white men that cannot figure out why women do not like them, despite the fact that they are a-holes. I mean... Race has nothing to do with it. If you are unhygienic, if you are terrible with people's skills, if you can't get along with anybody, and if you think that your will is paramount to anybody else having free will around you, chances are nobody's going to want to be around you. And that is kind of self-explanatory. But we've become kind of a society, much like Gillum there was kind of uh, pontificating over, that that is 
kind of looked at these things and said, no, 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 no. Everybody's got it wrong. I think I know a different way. And when he said in his comments, we need to analyze where all this stuff is coming from, I am going to say something very scary here. It's coming from the absolute top, the President of the United States. Now, when you make a statement like that, I understand that it is probably going to be one of those statements that if you're somebody that is to the right of the political spectrum, you're just going to think, oh my God, here it goes, another wacky liberal about to tell us how everything is Donald Trump's fault. And no, that's not the case. Instead, I'm going to do like ABC News did. And I am going to actually read from their story cases that they found that did not guess a link, did not even kind of conjure one up through summation. No, through a careful, analytical kind of process, went through and actually found right now on the book court cases where Donald Trump, his agenda, or even his kind of tweets about things, are mentioned specifically in criminal cases. In other words, by the book definition of these are things directly attributed to either the words or actions of the President of the United States. And ABC had some pretty hard metrics for going through this story, including making sure that if it was just a rumor, if somebody was just on their social media saying MAGA or I like Trump and then went out and did something, uh, that wasn't necessarily linked. No, Donald Trump's name had to specifically be listed in either the criminal complaint the police arrest record, or the transcript of the actual trial for the people alleged to have done crimes. In other words, under a court of law, these are things that other people have attributed to Donald Trump. Now, you're probably wondering, why am I going through such a methodical explanation of how law works in this case? It's because that Donald Trump has a nasty habit of spinning the truth. And when it comes to the truth of the things that he says and the people and groups that he says them about, and that leading to an escalation of violence, bullying, or, God, sometimes even murderous intent against them, Donald Trump has always tried to absolve himself of any guilt or responsibility, basically saying that the stuff that I say, which may or may not be truthful, we all remember that statement when he says, I tell the truth when I can, which if you've been following his latest rallies, seems to be about 15% of the time is the only time he can tell the truth, including this is the city I am in, you are the people that live in this city. I am Donald J. Trump, currently President of the United States. Thank you. It's been a wonderful evening. Good night. That is basically the content of his speeches that are still rooted in reality. 
But when it comes to these actions and these words that he puts out, do they have a direct link to the criminal world? And it turns out, yes, they do. Going all the way back to August 2015, where in Boston, Stephen Leder, 30 years old, beat a guy of Mexican descent and at the time of his arrest, basically said Donald Trump was right. All these illegals need to be deported. However, it should probably be noted that the guy that he beat was not in the United States illegally, was a naturalized citizen, and basically him and his brother had to plead guilty to assault-related charges and were sentenced to two years in prison. Two years in prison for ambushing a homeless guy? You think that's bad? It gets worse. Nicolai, uh, Nicholas Tavelli, Tavello, uh, 19, was charged with ethnic intimidation back in December of 2015 at Penn State University. Now, he was threatening to put a bullet in a young Indian man's head, and basically, during the court case, his argument was, or I should say, Tavella, Tavella attorney argument was this. <clears throat> Tavella basically had a love of country, and that was his motivation, and not hate. And here it is, quote, Donald Trump is running for president of the United States saying that we've got to check out people more closely. That is actually in the transcripts of the defense of a man charged with racial intimidation. And yes, he eventually pled guilty to those charged and was, for some strange reason, the two seems to be the magic number here, sentenced to two years in prison. Now, here's the thing. It goes on. Uh, April uh, 2016, Jonathan Martin Ruse in White City, Oregon. That's a name. Uh, <laughs> uh, basically was uh, threatening federal officials, including then-President Barack Obama. In his case, he basically said that, oh God, court documents noted that Trump supporter basically said the establishment is trying to steal the election from Trump. That is a part of his defense. Obama is already on a kill list. Now, of course, Ruse, he's white. He pled guilty to possessing an unregistered explosive device and posting internet threats against federal officers. He was actually sentenced to more than five years. In June 2016, a 54-year-old man by the name of Henry Slapnick attacked his African-American neighbors with a knife. And when he was arrested, he told police, Donald Trump will fix them because they are scared of Donald Trump. Now, of course, Slapnick ultimately pled guilty to ethnic intimidation and other charges, but I can't really, and neither could ABC, tell you what kind of sentence he received. August 2016 in Olympia, Washington, 32-year-old Daniel Rowe attacked a white woman and a black man with a knife after seeing them kiss. Now, when police arrived on the scene, Rowe basically said that he was a white supremacist and that he planned on heading down to the next Donald Trump rally and stomping out more of the Black Lives Matter group. This is not hyperbole. This was actually in documents submitted to the court when it came to the prosecution of Daniel Rowe. Now, in September of 2016, a then-chief of the Bordertown, New Jersey Police Department, Frank Nucera, allegedly assaulted an African-American teenager who was already handcuffed. Now, of course, federal prosecutors said that part of the animus, or motive for the attack, 
was this intentional or intensive racial hatred. And uh, noting this in federal court that within hours of the assault, Nucera was secretly recorded saying Donald Trump is the last hope for white people. Once again, this was submitted in a court of law, therefore drawing a direct legal parallel between the words of Donald Trump and the violence that is being incited by these white men. Now, I know that you're probably sick and tired of listening to these cases, and we've only got up to September 2016, and that doesn't even cover the Mark Fine case of Los Angeles, who was posting anti-Muslim and threatening statements to a mosque on Facebook. And I mean, there's also the three white Kansas men for plotting to bomb an apartment complex in Garden City because of all the Somali immigrants there and because, you know, it was a self-defensive move. Quote, this is, this is what the three men believe. Quote, if Donald Trump won the election, President Obama would not recognize the validity of these results. He would declare martial law and that would point all militias all over the country. Well, at that point, all militias all over the country would have to step in. In other words, these white guys were saying, look... If, if Donald Trump says it's okay and he's about to be in office, then by God, we should start killing these Somalis. That's the type of country that Donald Trump has inspired. And these are not, once again, hype. These are actual court cases where you could say, in a legal defining way, Donald Trump has elicited the violent response of these individuals and that violent response has been geared towards minorities and women. Now, the bad thing is, is about doing any segment on this show right around the midterms is everybody's passions are so inflamed that common sense and logic does not seem to make sense. And as such, I am going to say something here in this part of the show that I know will go over every Republican's head in the audience, but it's something that you should consider. You see, Donald Trump right now is much like one of my favorite characters in one of my favorite episodes of Doctor Who. The Doctor himself, the Waters of Mars... Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, God, Shaggy just outed himself as a geek. And he is now in modern political discussions referencing an episode of a British science fiction show about a guy that goes through space and time and fights rubber mask in a telephone booth. I think that's how the show works. Okay, okay. No, that's not important. The thing is, is that the character himself kind of goes around all of space and time unencumbered because he's a white male. I know you're thinking that it's not a part of the show, but it absolutely is, and if you need any evidence of that, they recently replaced the white male character with a white female. Not that much of a difference as far as the whole racial component. They still sound very, very English. Look at the fan backlash of that. However, In the Water of Mars episode, 
the doctor had a very interesting turn of events. He found himself in an impossible situation with a very bad realization that because there was nobody around to stop him, he could, tra- he could transform a moment in time that was never supposed to be touched or looked at again because it was so intrinsic to the entire existence of the human race going forward that he was beyond the rules, that he was the Time Lord of Victorious. I know that sounds so stupid in the context of a political show, but Donald Trump right now is that doctor in that moment. He is unchecked. And the reason that is a bad thing, and this was discovered in the episode of The Water of Mars on Doctor Who, is that just because you are unchecked, it does not give you the intrinsic right to change fundamental things. In the episode's case, it was a moment in time that was not supposed to be manipulated because it led to so many other important moments that were to happen out, out uh, after it. And one of the characters in retaliation for being saved, for literally having their life pulled from the b- brink of ultimate, ultimate, ultimate oblivion, decided that they should kill themselves anyway because nobody at the end of the day should have power so unchecked that they can change fundamental things about existence. Now, I know you're thinking, oh God, Shaggy really went off a deep end with this, but no, I didn't. Because with the midterm elections just hours away, this is something that you need to consider. That somebody like Donald Trump that is, oh God, I know if you're one of our left-leaning listeners right now, this is going to be something very painful to hear. Donald Trump has actually accomplished a couple of things that other presidents have not been able to accomplish because he has broken office decorum. Um, The North Korean situation, the China trade situation, although very, very bad and having very terrible consequences for the way that he chose to deal with them, those things have never been touched before. They were fundamental parts, fixed moments in time, as the doctor would call them. As far as political time and effort, they have been fixed with every administration coming on and not really challenging the norms of the office of presidency. And Donald Trump, by challenging certain norms, has changed things on a worldwide scale. Now, there is a way for those to be positive changes. However, this is where the lessons of that crazy Doctor Who episode, and I'm not advocating that you watch a British science fiction show. I'm not even advocating that you watch any show. I'm just saying as far as moral tales, there's other places than theology and nursery rhymes to get them from. And in the moral tale of uh, power unchecked, in this episode of Doctor Who, we see the whole... Oh, God, you know the Aristotle saying, right? Power, unchecked, corrupts. Basically, ultimate power is the ultimate corruption. Well, imagine this. 
you have a GOP that has been hijacked by the Trump agenda and knows that his powerful way of speaking drives people to and from the ballots, okay? They know that, and as such, they are married to this guy as long as he is the figurehead for them in the White House. So a lot of GOP people will go with the president merely because of this whole popularity contest that they think is happening. In other words, they won't check his power. Instead, they will ensure it. And he is not. And I encourage you to look in the past to his business dealings with casinos, with real estate, with ex-wives. I encourage you to look into the history of Donald Trump and know that this is a man that has made very, very terrible, and it doesn't matter which side of the political aisle you're talking about because these are not political decisions, these are business decisions, and therefore are above political bias when considering. Donald Trump has made horrible business decisions. And as such, the good business decisions that he has made, the periods of his life that he has enjoyed abundance, has always came at his own chagrin at somebody else being involved in the process and moderating all of that unchecked Donald Trumpness. Donald Trump functions best in the private business world with checks and balances. And as such, if you are a Republican and you actually want Donald Trump to come out as a good president in the long run, when history looks back at this period, they actually look at this whole thing favorably. And I don't see how with a guy that separates people for no damned reason at the border just because reasons and he thinks it will intimidate people not to coming to the United States even in light of that, the misogyny, the sexism, the sexual assault, allegations against him, if you want this president to actually be a good president in the hindsight of history, the biggest favor that you can do to Donald Trump is the exact same favor one of his wives actually did to him and put controls, put breaks on this runaway bus. Because much like that episode of Doctor Who, whereas a guy that had found himself finally in the seat of ultimate power and executing that ultimate power for what he believed was good-intentioned reasons, those good-intentioned reasons had dire, terrible, terrible future consequences for everybody involved in that moment. And had somebody not taken a stand and, quote-unquote, and I know this is a sick thing to say about a show that depicts somebody com committing suicide, but had that person not corrected the moment, had that person not put a check, a balance on an unchecked power, the dire consequences that could have been suffered by everybody from that moment well, they would have been dire. That's the whole reason. I called them dire consequences. I, I'm not a thesaurus. Sometimes I run out of words. But that's just it. 
Donald Trump is running out of logical words. So he is amping up the racism. He's amping up the immigrants are all enemies of the state, even though they're not in any actual state or close to one by hundreds and hundreds of miles. He's ramping up there. They're coming for your women because women want security when at the end of the day, women really want equality. And maybe some of that equality could go towards their wages and, I don't know, reproductive rights, body sovereignty and things like that. Fact of the matter is, is that Donald Trump right now is unchecked. And if you want to do a favor for this country, if you want to actually do a favor for Donald Trump, you'll go out and you'll vote for people that will check the president's unchecked powers. And you might actually help save the Trump presidency by doing so. Hey God, don't let that discourage you. Please go out and vote tomorrow. Until next time, love you, mean it, Kate, and bye.